Hey guys, it's me, Alex. This episode of the AlexCast, as with every episode, is brought to you by The Standard. Facebook.com slash TheStandardPDX. Uh, you can find them in real life, 14 Northeast 22nd, Portland, Oregon. Go, drink, enjoy, be merry, have a bacchanal, bacchanal, or a uh, Eleusinian mystery. You'll understand what that means later. This episode, I am joined by a guest, and we're joined kind of, not mid-conversation, but there's no intro or whatever, so that's, if it sounds weird... That's what happened. So there's your explanation. Not like you really need to know that. And I just want to remind you that I do have a spinoff podcast with frequent guest John. Uh, we are now doing a show called John and Alex Hate Stuff. You can find it on iTunes or uh, johnandalexhatestuff.com. Alex always spelled with two X's as well. You should know at this point. All right. I love you all. Enjoy this episode. This is going to be an embarrassing thing to say, but there's a uh, there's an astrologer that I heard that predicted he's going to be uh, ousted in August, which is what I hope for. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I can believe it. I I find it difficult to believe that this is going to last a year, much less four years. The question is, how much damage is he going to do between now and when he gets thrown out? Oh, I mean, lots. I, I you know, I I was. Be fair, I'm not trying to be hipster here, but like I was embarrassed of this country long before he showed up. So, but uh, oh, yeah. yeah, but uh, it, man, world stage wise, we're we're looking we're looking fucking embarrassing. We used to be just slightly shitty. Now it's, whew. yeah. I, I mean, you've you've got to be you've got to uh, give credit where it's due. Putin has played an absolute blinder during this entire episode. I mean, talk about master strategist. He can now just sit back and just laugh at everybody knowing that you know he's got no real opposition to whatever it is that he wants to do yeah and this is where i start to get dumb though because i'm just like well what's the big deal like aren't we supposed to be friends with other countries like russia used to be this giant enemy of ours i'm a little confused why colluding with them is a bad thing like we, it's isn't that sort <laughs> of the, what we, like, <laughs> I, I mean i was a kid during the 80s so one one of the most impressionable series on me was Star Trek: The Next Generation, and in many ways, I resent Gene Roddenberry for The Next Generation because it sold me this dream. And the dream was, if we all pull together as a single race, we can explore the stars forever. And you know, as a kid, as an eight-year-old kid, whenever that series first premiered, I was like, "This is it! This is this is the utopia! This is what we can do!" And then obviously things went to shit pretty quickly after that. And I realized that this isn't the world that we live in. And Putin fits into that. that in an ideal world, every country would get on and we could do amazing things. The problem is, is that, that that's not reality. There are finite resources and everybody wants theirs over everybody else. Yes, communism did fall. But really, if you look at where 
Russia is now, it's little more than a dictatorship. The problem is, is that it's a dictatorship with a really big fucking army and a lot of weapons. And you've got this power play that's going on. It's really a three-way power play between America as the fading power, Russia, who was really the first to get beat, but is now coming back, and China, who's just sitting on top of them all, laughing as they, as they take their money. And the, I mean, what's happening at the moment is that Russian interests took an absolute kicking in the 90s and early 2000s with the sort of the collapse of communism and everything that that brought, plus the satellite states becoming empowered in their own way. But now Putin is almost rebuilding that power base. Um, I don't know if you saw. Basically, let's just agree that Trump is in the pocket of Putin. Putin has had a very antagonistic relationship with um, the Middle East and what have you for a number of years. He's kind of got Iran on his side. There are factions in Afghanistan on his side. But he's really had difficulty getting the oil out of the Middle East and into Russia in the way that he wants because we all need energy. And what he's done in the last, uh, I can say, eight months is that he has he, he, he may not have put Trump in the White House, but he had a big part to play in that. And now he's got Trump in his pocket and he can exert all sorts of influence over him. And you saw, I think it was last week that Trump went to the Middle East and basically said, hey, guys, you know, Qatar, who's been who's like, you know, a very Western leaning nation and has been giving Russia is really the, the leader of the anti-Russian movement uh, in the Middle East. He said, hey, everyone, um, I want everyone to gang up, gang up on Qatar. And in return, we're going to sell you 17 billion dollars worth of U.S. Um, military equipment. And literally the Middle East went, yeah, all right, then we'll we'll do that. So you've now got this coalition led by Saudi and some of the smaller nations, Egypt, Jordan, what have you, who are going, yeah, Qatar, we're going to cut all links with you. So you now cannot fly to Qatar from any other Middle Eastern state. And there's all sorts of things. Um, they've cut all the uh, uh, food imports into Qatar and what have you. And Qatar is just going, what the fuck? We were, we, were, we were brothers and they're going, yeah, but, you know, weapons because we're going to keep down our, our own rebel populations. And Putin could just sit back knowing that his main opponent in the Middle East has just been absolutely shafted and he can then just start to get on with what he wants to do. It allows him to get a little bit deeper into Turkey. It allows him to push into uh, Tunisia and some of the other sort of broken states, um, especially in, in Syria. And it's, it's a long-term power play. And if you were to look at it dispassionately and go, the man is a genius, but when you actually realise that we're talking about nuclear bombs in our planet, you go, yeah, things are a bit fucked. Yeah, I my, my theory went to recently when Trump wanted to back out of the Paris Accords was, ah, this is the Russia part, and this is somewhat joking, because Russia actually has the most oil on the planet, except it's under a deep layer of permafrost, and it's really difficult yeah. to drill to. Well, how do you get rid of permafrost? Global warming. This is a long game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I actually know more... I know more about the fucking po the the political interactions on Game of Thrones than I do in the real world because <laughs> it's it's far less scary in, in Game of Thrones. <laughs> I, I I must admit, I I read the first book and I watched the first season and I was like, nope, I'm out. It it was one of those that just didn't ever do it for me. 
Um, I, 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 I like a little bit more so on, on the uh, uh, science fiction kind of stuff. Um, and and I, 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 I'm a big Sean, uh, Sean Bean fan as well. And when he got off in, in the first season, I was like, man, now it's just sort of, you know, I'm just looking at tits walking around. There's, there's, there's no Sean Bean. Yeah, I really love the book, so I, I, I'm I'm pretty into it. Well, I really love the but, first like three books. The last two, I wasn't big into. Was he? Uh, I I I go the other way. I thought the first two books were just basically exposition. It was scene setting over eight hundred pages, and I thought it was only that things really got going in the third book. Oh, the third book was fine. It's the last two. Um... That he broke up into it was one giant book. I forget the I forget all the names. I read them all in one go. Uh, but yeah. the last two were one book that he broke up into two in the worst way possible. He broke it up by character instead of kind of by timing. So it makes no sense. Right. It's really poorly edited. It's I mean it's a shit show. Like I get that he's super popular, so he got his way. But boy, like if he was a lesser known writer, his 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 publisher would have sat him down and explained to him the power of editing and put a really good person on him because oh. shit, those are a mess. Oh. I mean, oh, absolutely. I think it was, I, I forget which number book was coming out. It may have been book five or six was coming out. I think just at the same time that I had my third novel coming out. And in publishing circles, that book, whichever number it was, got absolutely hammered on the editing. And the, 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 I remember there was one phrase that got sort of passed around industry circles and it was talking about the barbarians coming down from the hills, attacking these uh, villages, killing the men, and raping the windows. Oh, for real? Yeah. Oh, that's rough. <laughs> uh, uh, and it was, I mean, in editing terms, that is like a nuclear bomb. And and the industry is incredibly hard on editing and what have you and you see a lot of behind the scenes kind of stuff of people making snarky comments about other editors and all that kind of what have you and me and my agents we 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 have a very close relationship we're we're not a a typical business relationship we're we're very good friends mainly because he puts up with my shit but he and he's he's he sends me he he like quietly forwards me emails with look at these two dicks having an argument because publishers and editors, you, you think that there's, there's this big, you know, professional industry and no, you know, it's, it's just insane jealousy just from one end of the scale to the other. And so when people get into a shit storm with each other, they always hit reply all or always add in like CEOs of this firm and that firm and what have you absolute fucking children. But, as long as it's not happening to you to read it, you're like, <laughs> you're all idiots. So let's let's introduce you properly now that now that we've been talking for ten minutes, even though it's a podcast, so they see your name. So uh, Martin, how do you say your middle name or middle part of your last name? <laughs> I, 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 I I I am middle nameless. My surname is one of those god awful double barreled surnames. It's pronounced Adelsmith. Oh, Adelsmith. Yeah, I was going to go with a deal. I'm glad that's, I didn't do that. Okay, so that's cool. Martin Adelsmith. Uh, we got you the, the writer weirdo uh writer on uh on esoterica which uh weirdo by the way highest compliment i could give someone uh welcome you're on the show hi thank you very much <laughs> lovely to be here oh there's oh that was the other thing i was gonna say before we start i don't know if it's your chair or your mic 
but something is making a horrific squeaking noise. If there's anything uh, you can do to not have that. Uh, okay. Uh, let me just see what's making a noise. I'm, I'm wondering if it's the stand. Just give me one second. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that might be it. I, I, I had a loose bolt on the stand. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm not hearing it now. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it was it's okay, not that cool. bad, but it's one of those things that over the course of listening to a whole show, it, I know my listeners because they bitch about everything and they'll complain. <laughs> that's cool. Okay, hopefully that's fixed. Yeah, I actually, I got, uh, I've, I've gotten emails, but one pretty recently because I got a new computer for the studio and I was just fighting Windows. It just was doing dumb things and I couldn't get the system sounds to actually turn off. So pretty much once an episode, there was a drone noise of like, you know, some system noise coming up. The most innocuous, it happened literally, you know, it's a one-fourth of one second noise. And I got an email from someone complaining about how I should know how to run my shit better. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> this, do you realize how much longer it took you to type that email? Than to... Yeah, it's, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think we live in this very curious era in sort of human creativity that there are now all these platforms that effectively enables the indie artist. You know, we are able to talk to people and listen to people that even 10 years ago, you know, the idea of podcasts of independent musicians in the way that there are now uh, independent writers in the way that there are now, it just didn't exist. And with that comes a greatly lowered price tag that you look at sort of what an indie artist charges for their work versus what a corporate artist charges for their work. And people will sort of, rather than thinking, well, I'm paying $1.99 for a book versus $5.99 for a book, therefore I should adjust my expectations for production value based on that price tag. No, no, you, you, you don't get that people are like well i've paid my money regardless of how much or little it is and therefore i expect a quality product and therefore like we said you know when you get a single typo that slips through or a single background noise that chips in people go fucking crazy over yeah. it and it's just kind of, it's kind of like really really that's that's what we're doing here okay fair enough yeah it's like dude i i put together every like this is the alex cast is me like every episode every edit every like every single thing that's ever been done like every book i made every t-shirt i sold every single thing on the show is me and if if you're if your complaint is one little drew sound come the fuck on and also a hundred bucks says that motherfucker hasn't left a review for the show and it's like that's the only way we could survive don't you get that yeah (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, the thing is, is that there are the big shows out there. So, um, you know, Cards on the Table, I'm a big MMA fan. I'm a big conspiracy fan. And I follow religiously the likes of Joe Rogan and that kind of crowd. And, you know, that guy is incredibly successful and he's got a custom built studio and he's got a sound tech working the board as as they're recording and all of what have you aid of the slick slick operation he is technically speaking an indie artist it's all him it's all his money that's into it he's done everything it's his vision and kudos to him for it but when people listen to him or see the youtube videos and like hey man this is really cool good on you this is what indie artists are all about 
No, no. For every yeah. one of Joe Rogan, there's a hundred thousand other guys just going, it's me trying to work Skype, trying to get the EQ mix. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Jesus. But they're still indie artists and it's not a really comparing apples with apples. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah totally. Which on that note, uh, so, so you're, the name of your series is Spirals of Danu. Is that how you say it? That's right. Yeah, Sparrows of Danny. All right. So let's let's just get it on the table right here, guys. Uh, people that are listening. And let's just review people's work. Do it. Go to Amazon. Leave reviews. You have no idea how much that helps. Because Jesus Christ, like literally two reviews in a day will bump you up like 100,000 spots in your given category. Like not a, not exaggerating. Like you can watch it happen I, I, when, when new books come out. It, you'll be, you know, in the top, you know, a couple hundred in any given category and then a week later, because no reviews come through, you're at 200,000. It's yeah. leave reviews. It's, I, I mean, the thing is, actually, yeah, the, the, the likes of you and I, the people who write, we understand how the game works and how critical reviews are on Amazon, how they are on Goodreads. And just, you know, even sharing a link once in a while on the likes of Twitter or Facebook or any of the other platforms, the majority of people don't care. They, they'll, they'll read a book and they'll go, mm, yeah, mm, no, whatever it might be, because this isn't their, their living. For them, it's entertainment. TV shows are absolutely the same. Um, I get sent a lot of TV shows just to sort of read and review and look over. I would say probably the vast majority of them are crap. So if you're thinking of making a TV show and sending it to me, please make it good because otherwise I will get upset. But to leave a review on Amazon boosts the visibility of it. Amazon have incredibly complicated algorithms. But when you get that email that says people who read X might also read Y. And if you can get your book in that Y category, especially attached to a big name X, that can make the difference between retaining your publishing contract and losing it. And publishing in any form is a brutal business, absolutely brutal. There was a guy that I knew just as I was being published, and he'd written a trilogy. Uh, and it was a kind of sword and sorcery, fighting fantasy thing right up my street. And I loved it. It was the most beautifully written book that you can possibly imagine. And he had a three book contract. And I was like, this, this guy is going to go places. He's going to be the next uh, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. He's going to be the next Robert Jordan. And he lost his contract after one book. They, they, they cancelled it because as beautifully as it was written, it just didn't sell. And I think that they, they, they set you very, very strict targets. And even if you're like 100 units short of your 20,000 unit limit per year, that's it. You get canned. And you try and get another publishing contract saying, well, I've already lost one publishing contract so I couldn't sell. It's brutal. It is really, really hard. And then, you know, an agent doesn't want to represent someone who's seen as a loser. So you get dropped by your agent and you're not just back at square one. You're at minus 10 just before you even start writing your next book and try and getting it out there. So in order to promote that book and have visibility if anyone's listening if there's an author that you like and you appreciate their work please leave a review for them because it is literally going to be a difference as to whether they can put food on the table or not yeah it's crazy so i was i was looking for an agent recently uh because i was putting out some stories and uh, yeah i've got a novel out i've got the 
poetry collection. So I've, I've had a lot of work out there that's been really well received. I sold, you know, a decent number of copies for a for an independent thing. So I was like, all right, you know, let's see if I can't get an agent, see if I can't get like some kind of publishing, you know, involved. And uh, one of the agent that I actually got to talk to was simply the, the, her her direct, well, not a direct quote. I'm not, it, well, it doesn't matter. I'm not using her name, so I can make up her direct quote. But was basically, you don't have enough reviews on your stuff. But it's like, yeah, that just sucks. Where it's like, but yeah, you said you love the book. Like you told me, she's like, yeah, but you don't have enough reviews. It's like, but I'm doing this all, but like, fuck. So now, you know, as an independent, you know, like fully independent writer it's like great now my own now my own doing it myselfness is holding me back against like joining the joining the world it's man it is an uphill goddamn slope and all you want to do is like all i want to do is write books and have people read it <laughs> but it's yeah well here's 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 the thing and you know we're 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 both writers so you you tell me if you think that my view is wrong that i think you have the art of writing which is a beautiful wonderful soul liberating experience and then you have the industry of publishing and those two disciplines just they don't even overlap they they touch in the briefest way possible because on the one hand you have the art and on the other hand you have the commercial nature of what the industry is the industry isn't interested in art it's interested in sales and that's what it comes down to what can we sell you see the same in music it's the same in writing it's even the same in theatre. I, I go and see lots of indie productions at, at the theatre and I can see an amazing show, but there are 10 people in the audience. And you're like, well, <laughs> sorry, guys, this isn't selling. You know, you, you're not going to make rent on this. Yeah, no, 100% agree. I, this is something that's, for me, and this is not like a woe is me thing, because I'm just, I've, I've said, I've tried to quit writing. It just doesn't work. I just, I just, I find myself like, I look down like, shit, I just wrote a poem on a napkin. I'm like, I was trying to quit. I'm like a fucking alcoholic, but with words. But um, yeah, I'm, 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 I've gotten better over the years, but I'm not good at the, the, the business aspect of it, of like trying to get the word out there and like any kind of like search engine SEO or any, any like kind of that whole aspect of trying to get, it's like, it's just completely against, not against my nature, but it's like, that's just not the way my head works. I, I, I'm into, I write weirdo poetic fiction. That's what I, it's what I'm good at. I, I'm not good at, you know, figuring out how ad targeting works and that kind of shit. It's like, you know, it, it, it is a dark, dark art and Unfortunately, there are a lot of people out there who will come along and take advantage of you for it. But on the flip side, if an agent is telling you, um, I'm not going to take you on until you've got X number of, of reviews, well, you can jump on a website like Fiverr and generate 100 reviews for $100. You know, I thought about completely, it. it it's, it. It's completely unethical. Of course it is. But if you need to put food on the table for yourself and your kids and make rent and whatever else, what are you going to do? I've thought yeah, about it. Yeah. Like I hate the idea. Like I've never paid for any of it. Like I had years ago, one of, I had this long story, but one of the, one of the guys heard me on the show talking about how buying Twitter followers is gross. So he bought me a thousand Twitter followers, which pretty funny. <laughs> Cause I just, one day I just have a thousand new followers. They're all the exact same kind of thing, but uh, I've never paid for any of this shit. Like I never, I've never done the, Fiverr to get reviews. I've never paid for any iTunes reviews. Like I haven't done it, but I've thought about it, even though I'm against it. But it's like at some point, it's a rigged system. I guess you gotta kind of bend a little bit to do it. But I, I was just afraid. My main concern was I, I don't want to get banned by Amazon because essentially that means you're never a writer again. Like if you can't be on Amazon, there's no, literally there's no point in writing at this point in the, the universe. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, they are a mega platform for better or for worse. You know, it, it's it's difficult for me to be critical because Amazon has treated me personally very well. I'm a huge fan. Yeah. It, um, you know, in terms of being able to get my work across the globe and get a reasonable royalty rate in return, then yeah, they 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 do me very well. That said. I am aware of other writers that they have been absolutely brutal with. And it's just kind of like there's there's a game to be played. And as, as hard as it sounds, you can either not play the game, in which case you're not going to sell, or you can have to play that game and you have to sell a little bit of your soul in the process. Yeah, I mean, not to go back to Game of Thrones, but I feel like it's Varys that's good at publishing, and I'm Ned Stark. Like, I'm just walking in like, <laughs> no, I'm just going to write good books, and people are going to respond to my good books. By golly, by G, and, you know, the next thing you know, my head's on a fucking pike. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it is. It's, Ned it's, Stark yeah. writing. It's, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I, but then, but then is, isn't history filled with this i mean one of my favorite authors in terms of his ideas not necessarily in terms of his writing is lovecraft lovecraft in his own lifetime was completely unknown he was completely written off um yeah he he certainly wasn't appreciated anywhere in the scope that he is now there's a whole culture dedicated to his vision and perpetuating the mythos and what have you but that guy was literally struggling to put food on the table for 30 years. And that that's a grind day in, day out, just struggling like that. And I do wonder in maybe 80, 100 years time, are we going to see this whole raft of now long dead authors now being appreciated and going, oh, my God, he was so ahead of his time. Blah, 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 blah. And there'll be that ghost just going, yeah, you're all motherfuckers. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, I predicted this for myself a million years ago. I remember, I forget, you know, like high school, middle school, I had an image of being long dead and being like kind of discovered then of like one of these things of, because I read really weird stuff that if one sub community finds it, it could spiral into, you know, uh, something significant. But the problem is I'm tired of working a fucking day job. It's really hard to be a writer when you got to work 40 hours a week. You know, it's, oh, gosh, you know, yeah. especially, I'm, 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 I mean, yeah, and in this shit, country like it's really hard to make a living here like most of my, my it's, it, it, it's 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 not easy anywhere i mean this this is going to sound quite cavalier because i'm speaking from a position of absolute privilege that i'm very lucky my books are sold it's enabled me to literally buy a farm on an island in the middle of nowhere completely debt free and I can just sit here, look after my kids and do my thing. And so that is a position of absolute privilege. The way that I did it was that I took the risk. I took the risk that it was 2011. I was offered an opportunity to leave my job for a big fucking check. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this. And my, my, my first daughter was just about to be born. And I said to my wife, this is what I want to do. I'm sick and tired of working for other people. I'm sick and tired of all of my profits going to somewhere, somewhere else. This is what I love and this is what I want to do. And she looked at me and said, well, you know, our first child's coming in two weeks. So, uh, yeah, sure, go for it. And that's what I did. And you've got to take that chance. And when you do it, you sit down and it's tunnel fucking 
vision. You don't have the internet on. You don't have Twitter on or Facebook or anything else that, that can distract you. You sit down and you write and you hone your craft. And that's what you do. And you don't bitch or complain. Don't have any sort of vision of yourself failing. I was very lucky that when I was 16, I had this hot as fuck English teacher who was a bit soft on me as well. And when I left to go and do sort of my college education, in my leaving book, she she wrote, said, you know, you are the person who is most likely to write the greatest screenplay in Hollywood. That's what she wrote to me when I was 16 years old. And I have held on to that. So Nikki Stone, if you're still out there and you're listening to this, thank you for those words. You're an awesome English teacher. And that's what I believe. Absolutely. That is a, a, one of the core pillars of my identity that I write very interesting, very niche work. There's people who, who read it, appreciate it. And one day I am going to write that Hollywood script, which is going to blow the world away. You can sit there and say, Martin, that's a nice dream, but you're a bit fucking delusional. And I can go, yeah, you know what? I probably make $2,000 every month off my writing. Thank you very much. I'll see you all later. Yeah, I mean, I, I I wrote a book about weird flesh balloons, so I I, I can't I, I I'm I'm not in a place of judgment on anybody's work and their view on it. <laughs> Somehow, I was disappointed that the weirdest book that humanity has ever produced, Periphery, didn't take off. That weirded me out. So obviously, I've got a skewed view of the universe. <laughs> and also, but if somebody does well in no, writing, I don't begrudge them ever. You know. But, but see. That's the thing, you know, I mean, we, we, we talk about this trend of normality and the average man. You try and find one person who matches every single dot on that average line. No, there isn't. Everyone's got their own thing. Everyone's got a vice. Everyone's got a passion. Everyone, no one matches, you know, the average man at all. People say, oh, well, you know, this demographic and that, that demographic. And don't write for a demographic. Write what you love. Craft it. Hone it. Polish it. And then go back and do it again and again and again. Don't look at your sales report. Don't care about that. I honestly believe pe people say to me, oh, there are no more great stories to write. They've all been written. Yeah, well, what are you still looking for then? Because I'm still looking for it. That I, I sit down. I read some amazing writers. We, we talk about esotericism. One of my favorite writers in that genre is a guy called Phil Hine, who is just fantastic his ability to put ideas forward in lay speak is just brilliant i'm like man i wish i could write like this this is absolutely gripping stuff a lot better than some of the more tropey clunky stuff like peter carroll or crowley or whoever else and i'm always on that quest to read the next thing and there I, i'm not the only one i know sort of within my peer group of writers that you know there are people who, are, who say to me, whatever you do, don't read this book. And once in a while, I just get an email that comes through and says, for the love of God, you've got to read this book. It's going to change your life. And sometimes they're right. So always keep walking that path, man. Do what you do and love what you do. Oh, yeah. No, I've, I have no choice in the matter. I'm, I'm fucked. I'm addicted to this stupid shit. It's just, it'd be, you know, it'd just be, it'd just be nice to not have to go to work in the fucking next day. <laughs> but um, well, here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing that you calculate what it would take what it, it just in in terms of mean numbers what it would take think about what you've got behind you think about what you can do and then just go if i'm going to do this because ultimately opportunities is only ever a closing window take the jump
if, if, if you want change, you need to take the jump. You need to have a burning passion for what you do. And you are going to have people going, you're crazy. This is just insane. You're going to lose everything and go, yeah, maybe. But I'm going to do it because I'm not going to get to my deathbed and go, man, what if? Just yeah. Do it. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm doing now. I mean, I'm putting words out. It's just, you know, I just would like them to be read by more people. <laughs> that's that's the end of it. it like, yeah. It, 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 it absolutely will happen. You have to believe it will happen. You need to I mean, I write what is best described as occult conspiracy. It is the X-Files, but instead of aliens, it's dead gods and secret societies and that kind of stuff. I re- I look back and I read some of my earlier work and even I'm like, damn, this is some good shit. <laughs> Why can't I not have some of these ideas now? Why have I yeah. got writer's block? I need to go back and read this shit. And I think if you can honestly look at your work and go, fuck, that's really good then you know you need to be able to entertain yourself and have that passion because then you can say to other people here's my card this is what i do and then i hate to say it but it's a numbers game you just need to throw enough mud at enough people until something sticks yeah and someone's gonna go oh man yeah okay i'll, I'll have a read of this and etc 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 and of that one percent of the one percent they'll leave a review and you just keep grinding that out and you don't ever get despondent you don't ever go i'm going to have a lay-in you get up at you know what's for me you know 5 a.m and i'm going to come and talk to you and after this i've got something else and i was talking to uh, mike and mateo on the whatcast and they want me on on sunday and that's gonna be another 4 a.m start so i'm gonna get up and i'm gonna do it because yeah, this, this is what it's about this is what i love doing so indulge your passion get on and do it man yeah, actually, had it's so it's so it's funny you mentioned the uh, you know going back and reading stuff. So uh, I I had a I had a guest on uh, recently, and he was reading Periphery, the 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 novel I put out, and I haven't read it since basically since it came out like three four years ago at this point, and he sends me a screen cap saying, oh, I, I, he sent me a picture of a page he's reading. said, I really like this part. And I read it. I'm like, oh shit, that's pretty good. And it was weird because I'm usually <laughs> down in my writing, but I, I'm so far away from it at this point that I went, oh yeah, fuck. Huh, look at that. Way, way, way to go, Alex. <laughs> Nicely done, you know, X number of years ago, Alex. <laughs> a- absolutely. I, I, I 100% agree. I think writing is very curious that it, it, it captures the absolute distilled essence of you at a moment in time. And I know writers who will go back and read their previous work and they'll cringe and they're almost sort of embarrassed by their former selves. And equally, I know other guys who, you know, like me, like you, go back and read their earlier work and like, holy shit, that's, that's absolutely on fire. And I think if you can fall into that latter category, then you're going to be onto a good thing. Yeah, I was surprised because I was expecting to be cringy because, you know, I have, I have, uh, like two regrets because one i know there's at least three typos in that book and it fucking infuriates me that i let them through but i'm not gonna reprint so so i was like ah the whole book's garbage because i have three typos in there i mean nothing nearly as bad as raping a window but <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i say i read i read uh the sun also rises that hemingway book and i don't know you know when i was like 19 or 20 and that book was written yeah. in what then you know 
who who the fuck knows 1940s or whatever the hell it was written but uh, 1920s who cares but i read it and there's a fucking typo in that book i read that in like 1990 something and there's still a typo in there so i'm like all right i could you know what i can forgive myself a little bit here that you know this this shit's been out for 70 fucking years and no one caught that (laughs) yeah it's it it is interesting to see i sort of i follow the early works of Anne rice quite a lot and i i like that sort of big gothic romance it's 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 not what i write but it's quite sort of shelly in, in its tone and just I, I think i'm on to the 10th edition of interview with the vampire that i'm reading at the moment and it's it's just everywhere you know there, there, yeah. there are commas in the wrong place and what have you and this thing was published in the middle 70s and now we're on the 10th edition and it's still He's like, you know what, man? I'm just going to forgive it and enjoy the story. Well, I, I'm glad you've specified the early work of Anne Rand being interviewed with the vampire because you know she had much earlier stuff than that. It's basically fairy tales fucking each other. Yeah, yeah. Because I, mean, I, I wasn't sure if you're into that because that's a little weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess it, it's it's the early vampire. Chronicles. Yeah, you know, I got you. I know. I, I read all those in high school. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, 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 I know that she gets a lot of criticism for them. I know that they're quite indulgent, but as a treatise on the nature of humanity as explored by people who were formerly humans and are now monsters. I think it's very interesting work. Um, It's unfortunate that she had to go through such trauma to be able to write that because I I think it was that that she lost a daughter quite early, like a a little girl. I, I, I think in the books, if you follow the books, it's Claudia. Claudia is based on her daughter who passed and that's just horrific you know that's 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 a god-awful trauma to to go through and yet out of that absolute you know heartbreaking events that happen there's this amazing body of work has come forward and i'm thinking you know if you can find that sort of opportunity and adversity then kudos to you yeah, those books are are pretty great on that. Like, I love the Armand kind of saga where it's this guy yeah, that was him. a really faithful person that lost his faith, became a vampire, and then kind of, spoiler alert, regained his faith. Like, really interesting. And also, you know, mirrors her life because she becomes a Christian again after the after the vampire books, and she starts writing weird Jesus books for a while. Yeah, you, you know that, that she's now back out of it? Yeah, now she's writing Lestat's and, uh, uh, from Atlantis? Is that what's happening? I haven't read them yet. Some, I, I, I've, I've, I've not caught up that yeah. far. She, she, write, she, she wrote something, she wrote two books, and I think one was something like Christ Out of Egypt, and there was another one, I can't remember what it was called, um, and then I think it was maybe two thousand and twelve something around that that the child abuse sex scandals with the church was sort of really reaching their absolute peak and the then pope wouldn't apologize or something and she basically turned around on social media and went yep that's it i'm out and you've got to say fair enough for standing by your, your principles there and i think she's formally left the church i think she still has faith but not in the structured kind of sense in the in, in the organized religion kind of sense yeah which is good because that's just creepy and weird well it, it is what we, but you, you you see this sort of dogmatic approach in, in in religion in politics all the time and i mean i i i describe my own position that you know i'm on a journey i the ideas that i had yesterday weren't the ideas that i had a year ago it, it's an evolving process and I'm always looking at new ideas and if something sticks I incorporate it into our own system and that's what 
go along with. And I think there's a lot to be said for just finding your own way. Yeah, indeed. So what are, what are you working on now? We were, we were kind of going back and forth that you've been batting some uh, esoteric ideas around. So I, I, at any one time, I have a stupid number of projects on the go, depending on my mood on the day. Um, just a bit of background. I have two young kids, so I perhaps don't have the attention span that I did when I didn't have kids. Um, it's difficult for me to sit down and just write in a lump. So I tend to write on an hourly basis and then go off and do whatever I need to do. So I've been writing a lot of short stories. That's probably going to be uh, seeing some more of those published later in the year, maybe an anthology published next year. Um, I'm working, I'm two thirds of the way through a new novel at the moment, which is set in the last days of the Holy Roman Empire. Um, that's early 1700s, early 1800s. And that's set in what we would now call modern day Germany. And a lot of what I do is I take a core of historical truth and I wrap a story around it and then just put a big weird stamp in, in the middle to explain what's happened. All my books are set in the same universe and some of the characters do recur. And then on top of that, I've started to draft out a screenplay and then there's another novel that I've started to write as well. And part of the reason that we got talking was that this uh and a distant novel that I've now started to plan out. I I had the idea of incorporating some mythology, but with a modern interpretation on it. And I like to give my stories that sense of magical realism. So this, this, the story calls for a number of rituals, um, sort of those sort of magical scenes throughout it. And I didn't want to go the Hollywood candles and cows and men in hoods chanting in Latin. I thought, yeah, that's passe. It's been done. So I started to look around for, well, I'm going to find an old ritual and just rework it and incorporate it and use that as the basis. So uh, I'm very fortunate that I have access to a freelance researcher and I said to her, look, this is the kind of thing that I want to be doing. Can you go and research some obscure cult for me and just tell me what have you? And usually if I employ a researcher, they'll come back with a three or four page document or something like that. And this this woman, I, I've, I've known her years. We work really well together. She came back to me with like 100 plus pages. I was like, whoa, what the fuck? And she came back to me with something that I'd never heard of, which was called the cult of Demeter and Persephone in what is ancient Egypt. Um, just as, as an aside, ancient Egypt didn't exist in the way that we understand it today. It was more sort of a collection of city-states. But for a period of 2,000 years, from sort of roughly 1500 BC to 500 AD, there was a cult. Now, we talk about cults and sort of like brainwashing and taking all your money and Tom Cruise and what have you. But this was widespread across Egypt, and it was a cult of Demetrius and Persephone, also known as the Eleusinian Mysteries. And they had like tens of thousands of initiates every single year it, it was a big thing um it was there are heavy shades of masonry within it so it has uh three degrees into the uh initiation at various points in the year it's led by um six masters three masters and three lesser masters a lot of the imagery and symbolism 
is sort of quite close to uh, masonry as well. There's the themes of death and resurrection in a very Christian kind of sense. At the same time, it's what we would call an agrarian cult. It was based on uh, farming and the corn and all of that kind of stuff. So that's got that very strong pagan element to it as well. But what makes it the most interesting thing is that there was an absolute prohibition on pain of death of telling anyone what went on in, in, in the rituals. So you could give an, an overview, you know, there'll be these people there, but you, can, you were never allowed to write down what the words that were said and what have you. Now, we, we take a society like the Freemasons, a, a fraternal order who have a similar oath of allegiance, who says, you know, don't write down what goes on in here. And you can go on the internet today and you can find absolutely every single thing that goes on in a Freemasons hall. It's very easy to find. And through all the different orders and side orders and workings and interpretations, everything's there. Even the passwords and pass grips are on the internet. But for 2000 years in Greece and at a peak of having 10,000 initiates every year, everyone, everyone obeyed this oath. And there's now, there is no copy of the ritual at all and this amazed me because when you've when you've been going for that long and you've got that many people coming there has got to be one arsehole in there there always is but for two thousand years no and i find that absolutely compelling and so we sat down and we've been looking through sort of all this work and together we've expanded this work and we're going to sort of probably publish an essay on it and it's it's amazing that this cult was so I don't know, either endearing or terrifying to their followers, depending on your interpretation, that no one broke the oath in 2000 years. And, you know, you're talking over in that period, over two million adherents. And for no one to have sort of, you know, broken the oath, you're like, that's some good going. That's really good going. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's one of those interesting things too because it's it, it, the whole Eleusinian mystery thing. It's it's like I think they actually refer to it as the most famous secret religious rite. Um, yeah, that's funny. Like the most famous secret. Like it's so weird that it's this completely well known thing that's not known at all somehow. It, it is. I mean, um, the the number of people and very eminent people who were within the order is staggering. You know, I mean, you you had Roman emperors who were in it. Um, Plato and Socrates were in it. It said that Pythagoras was a hierophant of it. You know, these are big dudes. And what we can see today is that we we know that the dates when it took place, we know a lot of the people involved. We even know uh, some of the dress and some of the drinks that were associated with it. In certain areas, there were specific laws that allowed people to take part in it. But none of the ritual is written down. Um, there have been various attempts over the years to piece it together. And like any good cult, there were sort of factions within factions. Um, th th there's a lot that we know from a uh, site in Greece, and it's uh, a, a site in Crete um, called Knossos, and it seems that the faction in Knossos didn't have 
the same oath to keep things secret as mainland Greece did. And so a lot of what we've got of understanding the words that were used within this ritual is has come from this site. But we can't say for absolute certainty whether the words that were used in Crete are the use are the words that were used in Greece. And I mean, if you're interested in Freemasonry or any sort of other order, and even within uh, Christianity, there are all sort of sub-factions, and some people will put a certain emphasis on a certain word or a certain interpretation, and another faction will do a completely different thing. And so the likelihood of the of the work at Nosos being that what was carried out on Crete is going to be remote, but it gives you an idea of where it was all going and what was happening. And basically it, it was a series of fertility rituals but it had the big bang ending and that's what sort of people have become really focused on which is you you, you have this sort of uh, big ritual which is in the autumn time we would today regard it as being the harvest festival that not only have you uh, gathered the crops in and so you're grateful for that but you're also getting ready to replant and uh, the seeds or store the seeds over the winter period for the next season and so you're asking for some sort of favor to go along with that and this third degree this third right within the cult it's quite frankly amazing because the descriptions that are given are for it and and is what a lot of people were working towards was that at the end of this ceremony you would see into the afterlife and by seeing the afterlife you would understand your place on earth and this knowledge would bless you both in this world and the next and this has been a source for academics like well what was it what happened what did they see and there's an incredible body body of academic literature out there all about this element and it really seems to be sort of three main things that they would work themselves into a form of trance state if you're talking from a christian perspective we would call it deep prayer if you're talking from a buddhist perspective we would call it the state of one mind if you're talking it from a pagan or new age perspective it's the state of gnosis and they were, they were very good at working themselves up to this and it's a combination of ritualized dancing and chanting but it had this big ending the big vision the big revelation and the academic work that's been that's been put together strongly strongly suggests they got off their face on acid absolutely the biggest lsd trip that you could possibly imagine Ten thousand people in one go off their face some of the side orgies may have had orgies going on with it and if you follow the new age theory sex is another way to achieve gnosis and it's just this whole sort of body of people coming together and you know the sky splits apart and unicorns rain down and they see into the next world but no one wrote down what was said we still don't know what the ritual and the chant was yeah, I mean, well, I mean, uh, it it sounds pretty self-explanatory. You just dance around, get off your face on acid, and listen to God talk. I mean, we've all done it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Who hasn't? Who hasn't? But this is the thing, yeah, and 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 this held sway for two thousand years. And yeah, let's not forget that. And 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 was one of the most eminent religions of the era. 
And it seemed to be based around a lot of the idea of respect for the land, respect for yourself and good fun as well. That that is people. There are lots of reports of having a very good time in in this cult. There's there's a specific law, and I think it's from Athens. One of the side orders within the, the, the this cult is a female only side order, um, and there are specific laws in this city state directed towards the men, saying you must allow your women to take part in this on pain of public flogging. That, that that was how seriously it was taken, and it was you like you know, you've, you've 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 got you know effectively laws of religious freedom being enshrined two thousand years ago. And I think that that, that that that's very interesting and very progressive as well. But at the same time, it, it, it fascinates me that so little is known, and a lot of it is worked around the uh myth of demeter and persephone do you, do you want me just to run through that for the sake of the people at home yeah i was about to say yeah if you want to if you want to give the uh, too long didn't so, read version uh. sure so the, the the myth of demeter and persephone um it's recorded in classical literature but much of what we understand of the order uh comes from a homeric hymn which was discovered in the middle ages um Probably worth noting that the Homeric hymns weren't written by Homer, but they're attributed to him. So we'll, we'll just work along with that. So there was the what we would call the Earth Mother, who was Demeter, and she was divinity of agriculture and a corn goddess, and she made the land plentiful. She gets together with Zeus, and they have a daughter called Persephone. Persephone, she's a little bit naive to say the least but she just you know walks upon the earth doing her thing la-di-da dances with the nymphs and what have you one day zeus's brother hades sees persephone playing with all her friends who are the nymphs and there's a suggestion that at the very least they were scantily dressed and there's another interpretation was that they were wearing no clothes at all anyway her uncle gets a raging hard-on for her and can't control himself so with her father's permission, he captures Persephone, takes her off to the underworld and does cruel and despicable things to her. Which is you know, quite a weird thing when your father gives you permission to be raped, but that's the Greeks for you. We'll just gloss over that and carry on with the rest of the story. So her mother, Demeter, figures that her daughter's missing and scours the earth looking for her. Until eventually the sun god says, actually, this is what happened. And the mother is absolutely beset by grief because her daughter's been taken to the underworld. There's no way back, etc. And she abandons her job. The land is no longer fertile and what have you. And lo and behold, people start starving. Zeus realizes that people aren't aren't praying to him anymore. And is like, yeah, this has kind of got out of hand. And so he says to Hades, You've got to take her. You've got to send Persephone back. She can't be your wife anymore. And Hades is like, yeah, nice try. But she's already had some pomegranates when she was down here. And in myth, the pomegranates would sort of, by by eating it in Hades, that would tie you to the underworld and you could never leave. They bent the rules in a big way. And in order for the land to be fertile again, they said that Persephone could return for nine months of the year. And 
the other three months of the year, she had returned to the underworld. And that was the idea that it then gives you the season. So you've got three months of winter when nothing grows because Demeter continues to search for Persephone during this time. And then when the first shoots of spring start to come through, that's when a Persephone, a Persephone slips back through the cracks in the earth to walk the realm of men and everyone's happy again until the season restarts. And so you've got sort of within that the myths of transformation through sex or being non-consensual sex. You've got the uh, myth of fertility, death, resurrection, um, and all that kind of stuff. We've, we've got all that story going on. And people believe that when they entered into the Eleusinian mysteries, that by worshipping the uh, grieving mother and the transformed goddess, you would effectively create this bridge between worlds. So you've got Zeus who sits on high, Demeter who walks the plane of mortals, and Persephone who rules as queen in the underworld. And by getting off your face on LSD and acid, you would be able to see into this and, and understand the greater place. And that's what people got into. But they really got into it, like in a really, really big kind of way. And it spread across all of ancient, uh, ancient Greece, touched into Egypt, got heavily into Rome and Italy, what we now call Italy. And it just fascinates me that you know, there's this story with all this very loaded subtext in it you know you've 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 got Demeter as the earth you've got the sun god you've got Zeus as the air Persephone as water right there you've got all all your elements you can factor in the fifth element being death as well there's sex there's adventure there are trials eventually there's a kind of halfway come good ending and people lived this absolutely lived this you know this wasn't just a story it definitely happened almost to the point of fundamentalism as we really understand it today yeah i mean it sounds fun there's uh there's there's one of the kind of theories behind this well i mean a lot of the greek stuff is that it goes through other minoan or or Egyptian is where they came from. And there's the theory like Pythagoras, especially like that there's the Egyptian schools that was the, the, the ultimate secret teachings, this 20 year program that the philosophers would pop over to Egypt to learn, you know, the, 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 yeah. the, the secrets everywhere. But it's interesting because, you know, you're, you're positing going back to Freemasonry, uh, you know, this leading into Freemasonry in a way that Freemasonry also takes a lot of like Egyptian, you know, symbolism, you know, oh, a lot of their sim- So it's interesting that it kind of circles back in on itself, that it's like it's, this Egyptian it's, thing feeds into Greece, Greece feeds into Europe, Europe builds into the Freemasonry, Freemasonry spins back down into kind of Egyptian thing. It's a weird kind of, you know, uh, snake so. eating mean, itself. It, it, even if you look at some of the architecture that Freemasonry employs, you know, you have Egyptian style pillars where, you know, gilded in sort of the, the very sort of pharaonic styles with fruits. There was an interesting piece that I was reading, which says, you know, strongly suggests that, you know, maybe this uh, myth came out of Egypt and in turn, Egypt itself borrowed the myth from Sumeria. There's a myth in, in uh, the Sumerian religions of uh, Inanna, who was a combined goddess of fertility, wine, and war. And she was a game girl who got about. And there's a myth about her going into the underworld to confront her sister, who is now a 
queen down there and what have you. It's not exactly the same as uh, Demeter and Persephone, but there's a very heavy riff on it, a very heavy riff. And this this is one of those stories that I'm thinking, you know, if Jared Butler can, you know, as you be take one of the roles of the gods in Gods of Egypt. I, I don't know if you've seen that movie. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a stupid fun movie. It, it, it's 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 like Temple of Doom. Very little makes sense, but you just go along for the ride. Um, I'm, I'm never going to watch it again, but it was fun while it lasted. I I do think that when we get to sort of uh, Demeter and Persephone, could there be? a big blockbuster scale story in that kind of vein. Maybe sort of, you know, not hitting every single grim note and every sort of uh, gory detail, but it's, it's something in it. And it is, it, it, it has got that epic kind of quality of love, loss and eventual eventual redemption into it. Well, they did do it on uh, Hercules, the legendary journey starring Kevin Sorbo. So you may, you may have your answer right there. <laughs> I, 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 Honestly, I I I, I have a, a a guilty pleasure, and it, it it's Hercules and Xena. And oh, I've watched the shit I, out of a lot of them. <laughs> I, I I I I know that people will get quite sniffy about it, but I'm like, you know what? I love those shows. Not every single episode is a classic, but I, I have the complete DVD collections of those. And at any given moment, I'm going to sit down and put put one of those in and just go, yeah. The, the, this is me for an hour. See you all later, guys. I, yeah, I genuinely enjoy it. I I know that it's cheese, you know. I I do know, but once in a while, you know, you you can't read Shakespeare every day. It's okay to have a hamburger once in a while. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, no, those were on reruns at the exact time that I needed to just be stoned and watch something stupid. I, I have a they have yeah. a very very warm spot in my heart. How do you feel about the uh, likes of Buffy? Do you ever watch Buffy? Oh, I love Buffy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, me, me, me too. I'm, if I'm honest, I'm not quite sure where Whedon has gone in the last few years. I think he had a very strange time after Buffy um, because he he wrote the screenplay for Alien Resurrection. And actually, my other podcast—that's the episode I just put out—was uh, me and my uh, co-host making fun of it. <laughs> yeah. I, see, I, I, I have a very strange feeling about that movie. That on the one hand, it is little more than fan fiction. It's I, I, I would hesitate to say that this is a, this is alien canon um, by any stretch of the imagination. It is badly acted with some god awful script, some pretty hammy acting in places, and a lot of people not really knowing what they're supposed to be doing. But on the flip side, I, I can t- almost tell you exactly when it came out. It, it, it came out in December of, I think, 1998. I think that that movie came out because there was a young lady who I was very, very, uh, I, I, I had a big crush on her. And we went and we went and saw it at the movie. And that evening, nature took its course. And so whenever I see Alien Resurrection, I'm like, that was a good night. That was a very good night. You know what I mean? Um, and I, 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 I don't know. I, 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 I can see Joss Whedon getting into Demeter and Persephone. If he could get away from Marvel for five minutes, um, that'd be great. And he can just do something good with uh, Demeter and Persephone. I'd be enjoyed. I'd watch the shit out of that. 
I mean, I, I give Joss yeah. Whedon a lot of leeway. I'll pretty much watch anything he puts out. He's just a, I like his style, and he's and he's let me down often. But I just, yeah, I, I, I like, See, I like him for like the same. My my co-host on the other show is kind of he's not a, he's not a Whedon guy, and he thinks because all the characters are witty and you know like they're all kind of one note-ish. And like I don't care. They all say funny things. Like there's a certain amount yeah. of like I don't care. It's, it's ser- serve it all up to me. Have everybody be the witty banter guy because they're all funny. I love it. <laughs> See, here, here's the thing. I, I, I am very critical about what I watch and, and and read, and I'm probably perhaps overly so. So, it's like at at the moment, I am having a serious discussion as to whether Scott Ridley is dead to me because I, I recently watched the new Alien Covenant film, and after the car crash that was Prometheus and cards on the table prometheus is my all-time number one worst movie i can't tell you how much i hate hate that movie covenant is it's not as bad as prometheus but it's certainly not a good alien movie by any stretch of the imagination and so ridley scott used to get a pass whatever he put out i would go and watch and of late i'm like no you know my my, my time is too precious i should get quality shit in and I feel much the same way about Joss Whedon as well. And I would say that all the Marvel's films that he's done, yeah, I have enjoyed them. But I know that there are people who go batshit crazy over Firefly. And I'll be honest with you, Firefly, I was like, this is dumb. I, I just don't get what's going on here. And to anyone who is screaming at this podcast right now, just deal with it. It's, it is not a good story. It's not a clever story. That series had every right to die and be cancelled in the way that it did because it just wasn't good. On the flip side of that, you skip forward a few years to Serenity, and I know that is a movie that takes those characters in that universe. And holy shit, that is an amazing movie. Have you seen Serenity? Yeah, I've seen both. I actually really like both. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I've seen Serenity. I, 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 See, that Serenity should have come first and then they could have done a spin-off series from it with that quality of storytelling and dialogue because that was absolutely fantastic. And and the ending is just brutal. You know, there's, oh, yeah. there's a high body there's a high body count at the end of that. And you know, with with, with what Whedon's doing in the Marvel universe at the moment, did, did you see Rogue One last year? Yeah. So Rogue One was my top movie of 2016, and I, I just absolutely love that. But, and spoilers, it has got a brutal ending. And I'm not ashamed to say that for the last 20 minutes of that movie, I was in absolute tears because of the body count, what was going on, and seeing characters that I'd absolutely fallen in love with fall by the wayside. And I wonder if Joss Whedon's done it once and he's seeing what Disney is now doing with the Star Wars franchise that you can tell adult stories. We've got uh, the Infinity Wars double bill coming up, I think, next year in 2019. They're going to be out. I wonder if we're going to start to see some of that gritty reality coming to Infinity Wars. He knows that he's done it once. He knows that he knows that he can get away with it and be regarded as, as a good storytelling for it because he did it with uh, Serenity. Are we now going to see a high body count in the Marvel universe before they launch their next stage of perhaps some less known characters coming through? I would, I would hope so because I, I, I think the, the 
the patience I have for those movies is is going steeply downhill. Like, unless it's Guardians really? of the Galaxy, it's taking a lot more for me to get into them in each iteration. And not because they're they're bad, it's just the characters are lasting too long in high-stakes situations where it's like, you can't be invested in these characters. Like, there's no danger because it's like, you've survived everything at this point. I mean, you're, yes. you're basically yeah. impossible. I mean, fucking Arrow guy didn't die. Like, there's a certain point where, like, you have to kill somebody or I can't have, I can't feel stakes when this is happening. Yes. Yeah. I, I yeah. I understand where you're coming from. It's... Those movies are what I would call very American movies insofar that you've got, you know, a lot of white people, occasionally blonde, running around, saving the world. So we can't really kill them off because they are the all-American heroes. Now, that said, I think what we're starting to see with the likes of Netflix and, to a lesser degree, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and all that stuff, we're starting to see more nuanced storytelling. We're starting to see... Uh, both racial and religious diversity coming through. And I think people are willing to take some chances with those characters. Um, I, I recently started watching uh, Jessica Jones. I can't remember what that series is now called. But, you know, that's that's a, a pretty gritty series. And it's, 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 it's not happy by any stretch of the imagination, but it is good viewing. Um, oh yeah, David Tennant's so, fucking brilliant in that. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. Obviously, I'm I'm not a big fan of Agents of Shield. I watched half the first season, got bored, tuned back in for the last episode of the season finale, and went, "Yep, I didn't miss anything at all." I could pretty much told you where where that was going. Well, Agents and of Shield I, got really good in season two. Is the problem that first that yeah the first season they were trying to time it out to be with the Marvel TV the movies to the um yes. I forget which movie was coming out but it fucked the pacing and a lot of storytelling season two starts to get not really good but like super fun like it, it's it's a totally missable show but it's a very fun show for a couple seasons yeah I mean there's there's lots of shows that I'm watching at the moment so uh, have you seen the Expanse. Yeah, I watched the first season, and uh, second season lost me about four episodes in. Oh, really? So I, 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 I felt the other way around, that I enjoyed the first season, but I got to the season finale, and I was like, what? Wait, who? And I was really confused. I didn't really understand. And then I watched the second season, and I, I, I think I watched, was it 12, 13 episodes, something like that. And I watched it like in three days. I just sat down and did it. And I was like, man, that's a good story. And, and, and it, it, it felt like it gave much more resolution to the first season. And I think they're going to do a third one, a third season as well now. Uh, um, and and that, that, that's big, epic kind of storytelling. But it's got that degree of gritty realism. It's almost got a 1984 in space kind of feel to it. Um, that I, I really enjoy those, those sort of shows. I, I watch a lot of the, sort of the weird, kooky stuff as well. Have you seen The OA? Yes, I like that very much, actually, which uh, a lot of people yeah. didn't, but I thought it was great. Yeah, I I, I, I agree with you. Um, I, I started watching it. And a lot of people were going to go say to me, oh, the ending's terrible, worst possible ending. I love the ending. I thought that was... Yeah, no, I thought it, it was really good, exactly, yeah. It, 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 it did exactly what it says on the tin. I was perhaps a little bit uncomfortable with the main character going the angel route in the last couple 
of episodes because up to that point it had been very nice arcane weirdness with no necessity to start calling each other angels or anything like that that aside I thought, you know, like we were just talking about, it had sort of ritualised dance, ritualised breathing that went with it as well. And I was like, this is some very cool invocation shit going on here. I really like this. Yeah. Um, and and I thought, you know, the, the premise of what it set up and the way it delivered it at the end, that, you know, by doing these series of dances and movements and breathing, you would be able to transcend this world and see into the next dimension and sort of, you know, get on that river and travel to it. The way that it achieved that payoff, I was like, holy shit, that, 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 that's really good. That's totally not what I was expecting, but I enjoyed it. And that did a lot for me. Um, equally, there are some terrible series out there. Have you seen Aftermath? No, I don't even know what that one is. Do, 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 do not even bother with that series basically it starts off that there's the, the world's ending there are meteorites and dinosaurs and demons and vampires plague everything just running around and this family's got to survive it and episode one two and three okay it kind of goes along and you fond of follow it and i think the last probably the last six episodes just craps out into nonsensical terrible dialogue hammy acting and some of the worst cgi that i see i'm pretty sure that i can generate better cgi than what was in that series definitely one to avoid but i've, I've just started uh, the very final season of the leftovers have you, have you been following that no people tell me i should watch it i haven't gotten around to it yet it's it's kind it's, of on my list of the next time i have a few days to kill to just kind of plow through it, it <laughs> it's it is firmly in the weird category um and basically the 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 premise is is i i think season one is three years ago two percent of the world's population disappeared like not even ashes just gone and there's no explanation for that but obviously it triggers sort of a religious crisis all sorts of issues of identity how do you mourn someone how do you mourn someone without a body etc 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 and there's there's no discrimination as to who's taken black white old young everyone yeah there's a if everyone goes but it's really a meditation on love and loss and how do you deal with unresolved grief uh, grief sorry and season two sort of expands on that and season three which i've just started which is a much shorter season has started to go into some very weird stuff and you can now see how it's being set up and again it's it's one of those shows it's not afraid to ask the big difficult questions and i'm like damn that's yeah we should be having more of this we should be having more of these kind of stories you know asking who we are what do we stand for and the at the moment the uk is going through that big identity crisis at the moment that yeah as a population we don't really know what we stand for we've got a very right-leaning government we've got a general election the results being called as i'm talking to you on this and the right-leaning government has has basically given tax cuts to the incredibly rich and stripped away benefits from the incredibly poor and as a population we're being asked well where do you stand do you want to go right or do you want to go left and that's probably a bit too binary but broadly that's where the argument is and you get shows 
like the OA and the left was and the expanse to say, actually, there really isn't a left and a right. There are strongly shades of grey. And people will say, you know, I'm a bleeding heart liberal or snowflake and what have you. I am very proud to be. But equally, there are one or two of my personal policies that do stray towards the other end of the spectrum. And these shows bring that out. They say, you know, not everyone is exactly one way or the other way. And it's the same reason that I will have an issue with Whedon, that, you know, his characters are a one note. They are firmly the Joker. They are firmly the libertarian. They are firmly the right wing nut job, whatever. And that's not how people are. And you get these shows that we're talking about where you get to see actually human characters, you know, flaws and failings or whatever else really giving full reign to that good people do bad things and bad people can do good things kind of idea. Yeah. I, I just, I take those as kind of two separate things. So like, I like weed and on a, on a comic book level, like I, I like some of his characters do go through like kind of character arcs and change over time, but like, it's still, it's a comic book thing. So I'm not looking for, you know, I, I don't look to Whedon for shades of gray and to like, you know, have like an yeah. exploration of my like morality and what I think about the world. I'm looking at him to be like, well, what kind of superpowered badass chick is going to do something badass right now? Like it's very much that I'm looking for a fast food kind of thing from him less than, you know, anything yeah. kind of deep and meaningful. But I, 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 I think you can have meaning within the fast food. So look what he did with Buffy. You know, Buffy is an absolute landmark in storytelling of the time. I know that today it, it, it's quite dated, but you know, you've got, you know, within what is effectively a stalker slash a vampire setup, you have ideas of love and betrayal. You have characters who do good things go bad come they become redeemed and a stack load of mythology that goes with it and on the one hand you can sit there and have it as just as a popcorn kind of thing and just enjoy it or you can sit there and go actually there are layers to this and i and i i think Weedon was able to do that but now he's kind of gone much more the very simple route you know i'm going to force this onto you know through plot exposition and you know dr von plot explain and what have you and it's just like we're not stupid you 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 can create a show that is enjoyable for the kids but at the same time will speak to the adults as well yeah, I just I just don't look to him to do that. That's right. It's just for him. That's just true. give me a robot that blows stuff up. That's what Joss Whedon's good at. Now. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. But all right, so we, we're we're way over here, Martin. So let's uh, let's tell people where they can find you and your books. To, uh, plug plug some stuff. Be be a sure. be a shill. So uh, my my shameless shill. So you can read the spirals of Danu on Amazon, iTunes, Kobo, Nook, and all those other good places, both in digital and physical format. If you like novels, start with The Gathering of Twine. If you like short stories, start with The Last Testament of Thomas Griffith. Please, please, please leave a review because that's how we make money. Uh, you can reach out to me on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, both of them are forward slash spirals of Danu. That's D-A-N-U. And I will just shoot the shit with you about whatever you want to talk about. I am one of those people that I'm interested in just about anything. Yeah, damn straight. What he said. 
Cool. And uh, you guys know where to find me because I've been doing this show since fucking 2010. I just realized and I'm tired of saying where you can find me. So there we are. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I thank you for coming out, Martin. Very much appreciate it. Uh, people at home, uh, th- thank you for listening. See you next time. Thank you very much. <laughs>